I'll be reading from the New King James Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Again, we'd like to welcome our visitors. We are excited that you're here, and we look forward to meeting you after, after uh, services. I want to say before I start uh, with the sermon that I have appreciated you, uh, encourage, the encouragement and the uh, kind words, but also just the family Familiness. I wrote something in the bulletin about thanking you for this time. It's been nine months, nine months since we haven't had a preacher, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But we're excited that we have we have a pulpit minister now. I'll be using PowerPoint because there. I'm not apologizing. I'm just letting you know that I will be using it and and quite a bit this morning for scripture references. We have several smaller ones um, to put to put up there, smaller verses. I'm not mechanically inclined. It doesn't come natural to me at all, at all. My brother is, and he inherited it from my dad, who is who was amazingly mechanically adept. But I do know what some things are. I know there's an engine in that car. I know that. Because I know what an engine looks like. But I had to learn, and, and, and this is a little embarrassing, had to learn this aspect of the engine. Now, some of you are, are wondering, why did it take him so long? But look at it. This is, this is the four-stroke cycle combustible, internal combustion engine. Intake pulls the air and the fuel. I'm looking at Don, and you nod if I'm, okay. Intake pulls the air and the fuel. Compression stroke pushes that air and, and the fuel together. Ignition or combustion the uh, spark plug makes a spark and blows it up, and then the exhaust goes back up and pushes that exhaust out. I know the basics now of how an engine works. They're just the basics. But so many other things go on in order for a vehicle to run like it was designed to run. There are gears and belts and hoses and cooling systems and brake systems, a fan, exhaust systems, so many more things that I will never understand, and I accept that. But I was thinking about this idea. When someone decides to obey the, the gospel, they have made a series of decisions, good decisions. They, they have heard the word, and they made the decision to listen to it in Romans 10, 17. They, they have believed that Jesus is God's son from John 8, 24. They have repented. They've turned away from their sins from Acts 26 and 20. And then they've confessed the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God in Acts 8, 37. We read about that. And finally, in Mark 16, 16, and so many other verses, they have made the decision to become Christians by being baptized into Christ for the remission of, of their sins, but those are great things to do eternally. In order for, to eternally live with God, you've got to make those decisions. But those are the basics. Those are the basics. And they're required, 
But there are so many other things going on when you become a Christian. So many good things. Blessings flow. We're not alone. We have people in our lives. But I want to look at some other things going on when someone decides to put Christ on in baptism. You had the scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And I want you to go back and I want you to notice that those verses. And in particular, I want you to notice verse 11 because that's where we're going to take the three things that I want to talk about this morning from. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. What happens when? What happens when? When someone obeys the gospel, they are washed. And that's important. And when you read that word, it's to completely wash off or wash away. They are washed. And we need to be washed. This is the Large Hadron Collider. It is the largest engine ever. It took 10 years to build. It's, it's located in, on the Swiss border near Geneva. It's the largest single engine in the world, the most sophisticated supercomputer in the world. It's the fastest racetrack in the world. It also contains some of the hottest and the coldest temperatures in the world on earth. Inside of that is the emptiest space in our solar system that they've created. And there are experiments conducted within this, in the collider, that require it to have few extraneous particles, as few as possible. And so the thing that I found out that I was looking for, I was looking for the cleanest place on earth and this is it. Inside this is the cleanest place on earth. But I don't believe for a second that it is the cleanest place in the world. Because when a Christian become when a person becomes a Christian when they're baptized into Christ as they come out of that water, I believe that that soul is the cleanest place in the world at that moment. We've been washed. Washed completely washed off or away. You know, Paul, Paul was a sinner, and his sins definitely need to be washed off, just like ours do and have. But a lot of things were written about Paul, a description of his life. Luke, Luke describes Paul as approving the execution. Acts 8.1, and Saul approved his execution. Whose execution? Stephen's execution. He was stoned to death, and Paul looked on, and he approved of his ex execution. 9.1 of Acts, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he hated them, and he wanted to destroy them. That's the kind of person he was. Wasn't a good person as far as Christians are concerned wasn't a good person at all. That's how Luke describes him. Notice how Jesus describes him in 9.4. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus is saying, you aren't the best person in the world at the moment. 
You're persecuting me. And I want you to go ahead and we're getting ready to turn to a, a place in 1 Timothy. I'll show you that in a second. But Paul says this about himself when the blood, in Acts 22, 20. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He's not the best person in the world. He needed to have some things made right in him. And then we go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Chapter 1, and he describes himself again to Timothy. And I'll give you time to go there, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. New King James, if, uh, I, am, I am the chief of sinners. That's how he describes himself, the chief of sinners. And in his mind, in his heart, and around him, he was the most uh, eligible person to have sins washed away. And he's asked in Acts twenty two sixteen before he becomes a Christian, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized for the washing away of your sins. And he made that decision. But when you look at the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, and you see what they were, as Paul says in 11, such as some of you, but you've been washed. You've been washed of your sin. You have been washed clean. And they needed to be washed, and so do we, and we have as well, those Christians who have put on Christ through baptism. You know, when someone obeys the gospel, they are sanctified. Now, there's a church word, isn't there? Sanctified. What in the world does that mean? Well, in Greek, you can translate to separate from things profane and to dedicate to God, to concentrate, to take something out of a situation that is not good and move it into a good situation and dedicate it to God, make it, make it worthy of being with God. This teacher that you see, is, her name's Jane Elliott. In 1970, there was a movie called The Eye of the Storm about what she did in her class. She was trying to explain to these children who had never been segregated racially, explain to children in her class, in her third grade class, what it meant to have prejudice, to be prejudiced. And they weren't understanding. And so she did this experiment where she decided that she would take all of the brown-eyed kids in class and treat them better than the blue-eyed kids. And she did that for a while, and, and she showed favoritism. She talked nicely to them. She spent more time with them. And then the next day, flipped it over. Blue-eyed kids got the attention, got the positive reinforcement. Blue-eyed kids were seemingly her favorite. And she noticed something, and she's done it year after year, this experiment. She noticed that the children who were set apart from the other children and were shown favoritism, they performed better on tests. They answered questions more quickly. They were more confident. They flourished when they were set apart 
and taken in by this teacher and her attention and her, her positive reinforcement. And you think about that. Why is it important for us to be set apart as Christians? Because we're loved on by God. And we're shown attention. And when we're treated like, like he treats us, we flourish spiritually when we acknowledge what he's done and what he does for us. So that's sanctification. How does it happen? Well, John 17, 17 says, truth sanctifies. Sanctify them, sanctify them in, in, in your truth. In the truth, your word is truth. John 17, 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Truth sanctifies. Faith sanctifies. Acts 26, 18, the latter part. Those who were sanctified by faith in me you're set apart. We're in Christ. We have faith. Look at 2 Timothy, if you would. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. And I want to look at verses 20 and 21 with you. This idea of being set apart and being used for the master. In verse 20 it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, consecrated, prepared for every good work, we're able to do things for God, do things in the name of God when we're set apart from the rest of the world. When we're with the world and, and we're not set apart, we, we can't serve God adequately. We're not a part of God. We're not with Him. We're, we're disconnected from Him. And basically, as far as that's concerned, we're useless. I want you to look at three verses up here. Hebrews 2.11, Hebrews 10.10, 10, and 10.14. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, he who sanctifies, God sanctifies, Jesus sanctifies. And, and by that, in verse 10 of Hebrews 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once, once for all. We don't need another sacrifice. Because through that sacrifice, we're sanctified. We're set apart because of that. Hebrews 10.4, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Oh, you're baptizing the Christ and you're washed and that's wonderful. But you're also set apart. You are special. And in being set apart, you can do things. You can thrive spiritually. You can be useful in the kingdom. The Corinthians were sinners. Paul points out that they used to be. And they needed to be holy. They needed to be sanctified. And they were. And so are we when we become Christians. When someone obeys the gospel, they are justified, Scripture says in verse 11. And that means to render innocent, to, to render right or just. A lot of people will say about themselves, they like things a certain way, 
And they, they might say, well, yeah, I'm OCD about that. I'm just OCD. But obsessive compulsive disorder is, is not something that you just casually say that you are because it's not fun to have. It's not fun to have. Just because someone, li- I like my tie, I like a dimple in my tie, and it can't be sideways. It has to be right in the middle. That doesn't mean I'm OCD. That's just what I like and the way I like it. But to have OCD, to be obsessive compulsive, you, you're miserable. Because it's usually motivated out of, it's motivated by fear, driven by fear and anxiety. You might have a fear of germs. And so commonly with people with OCD, they wash their hands, not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over until the hands are bleeding. Someone might be afraid of not having enough and so they collect and they save things. They can't help it. Someone might be a fear, have fear of disaster. And that's when you have people checking the stove, driving halfway to work, coming back, checking the stove again to make sure it's off because they don't want anything disastrous to happen. And so they take off. But no, they got to check the stove one more time. And then it'll happen all day long for some people. They're trapped. It's in prison. Well, there's another kind of OCD that's called... It's a condition called just right OCD. Rituals have to be gone through in order for things to seem right and to feel right and to look right. Walking a certain way through a door, through a doorway. Walking at a certain angle through a doorway. People with just right OCD will walk through a door, and if they don't go at the right angle, they've got to start over. And they will do that for hours sometimes. Some people will tie and retie their shoes for so long because it doesn't feel right or look right. It just doesn't seem right. Someone might test a hot burner as it's heating up. They have to touch it. It doesn't feel right. Touch it, touch it, touch it until it becomes the right temperature. But if you, if you don't get it in time, if you don't stop it at that point in time, then it's too much. You've got to start over again. They're in prison. But without Christ, we can live lives that we think seem right. We can say things, it, it, a religious setting that might sound right, but without Christ, we're not right. We may look right, but we can't truly be justified, made right, made just right until when? Until we obey the gospel. When we become Christians, we don't just look right or seem right or sound right in our speech. We are made absolutely just right. So in what ways are we justified? Titus 3, 7. So that being justified by His grace. We are so thankful for grace, aren't we? We need it so badly, don't we? Romans 3, 23. All of sin, we, we know that verse. We, we've heard it. We hear it in so many sermons. We all sin. We fall short of the glory of God. But 24 is awesome, isn't it? I, you need to hear 23. But when you hear 24, it gives you hope, doesn't it? And are justified by His grace as a gift. Ah, and it's a wonderful gift to be made just right. 
just right. We're justified also by faith. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what with God? We have peace with God. We're also justified by his blood, Romans 5.9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, justified by his blood, made just right. Why? Because Jesus died and shed blood for us, and that blood justifies us. The Corinthians were sinners. They need to be justified. They need to be rendered innocent. They, made to, they needed to be made absolutely just right, and so do we. If someone obeys the, the, the gospel, they are washed clean. They are sanctified, set apart, and shown favoritism so that they can do what they need to do as Christians. And, and they are justified when someone obeys the gospel. And so, as we end, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it hard. I want you to evaluate yourself and ask this question of yourself. How dirty am I? How dirty am I spiritually? Have you been washed? And if you have, and you've evaluated yourself and you still, and you know that you're still dirty or you're dirty again, what are you going to do about it? Have you been washed? Are you sanctified? Have you been taken, uh, have you allowed yourself to be taken away from the world to serve God? Have you allowed that to happen? Are you washed? Are you sanctified? And are you justified? Have you been made to be just right? Someone who hasn't been baptized into Christ based on their belief that Jesus is the Son of God, based on their repentance, turning away from their sins, based on their confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then they're baptized. If, if you haven't done that, you are not washed. If you haven't done that, you are not sanctified, nor are you justified. You're not right. But it doesn't have to be like that. So we're going to offer an invitation, and it's an invitation. You can think of it as a challenge, but also an invitation. If you're not a Christian and you understand what you need to do, let us know. If you just want to study with us about how to become a Christian, how to become a child of God, let us know. We'd be excited about that. And if you're, if you're a Christian who needs to change in any way, get right with God, then, and you need to respond publicly, do that. Challenge you to do that. Please do that.